Hi there, I'm Mariah Parsons, your host of Retention Chronicles. E-commerce brands are starting to shift their strategy to focus on retention and the customer experience. And so we've decided to reach out to top DTC brands and dive deeper into their tactics and challenges. But here's the thing, we love going on tangents. And so with our guests, you'll often find us talking about the latest trends as well as any and all things in the Shopify ecosystem. So go ahead and start that workout or go on that walk and tune in as we chat with the leading minds in the space. Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our other episodes at gomalomo.com. So hello, everyone, and welcome to Retention Chronicles. Today, we are joined by Sergio. I am so excited to have you here today. Um, We are also joined by Yao, our beloved co-founder and CEO here at Malomo. And so I would love, Sergio, for you to say hi. Um, Tell us a little bit about your background, your brand, all that good jazz. So first of all, thank you for having me. Hi. Hi to both of you. Uh, My name is Sergio Take. And I'm the founder and CEO of Dossier, uh, a perfume company that we started working on in 2018. Uh, a little bit about my background. In a previous lifetime, I used to work for investment banking, uh, and which was rather well, a ton, uh, but I wasn't exactly feeling 100% fulfilled. So then I transited to uh, the e-commerce world, especially in the beauty sector. Uh, and I started doing that by starting a company in the uh, hair and beauty space, uh, mm. which was an interesting transition going from investment banking to selling hair online. Uh, <laughs> definitely raised some eyebrows on my parents' side, like, wait, so you had this nice job in a suit and now you're selling hair on the internet. Can you explain <laughs> that to me a little bit? Um, so, so that was definitely an interesting transition. But um, that company did well, it was self-funded, it, it did well. Uh, and then, you know, uh, enjoy, and definitely enjoy what I was doing and decided to stay in the e-commerce and beauty space. And uh, that's how we got to, to Dossier. And I've been working on Dossier since 2018 and we launched in 2019. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, I, I would love to kind of know more about your background in investment banking. Um, Yao and I both have backgrounds like formal education in science. And so like, I think Yao, you'd probably agree that like, maybe there was like, oh, some raised eyebrows, like you're going into e-commerce, but I feel like everyone kind of finds their way into e-commerce <laughs> somehow, like, right. Everyone has a background. Um, so what like learnings, like, do you think have transferred over from that background? Cause I feel like also investment banking is very formalized, which if mm-hmm. that is not true, let me know, but I've never been in the industry, but e-commerce is kind of the opposite of that, at least in my perception. I think you gain a, a huge amount of work ethic in investment banking. It's mm. really, really long hours, especially on what we call the private side. I was doing a lot of enemy deals. Uh, coming home before 11 p.m. at night uh, did not happen often. Um, so the work ethic you get the uh, rigorous analysis, the training that you get uh, can be helpful in any industry at all. Uh, so that's, I'll be always be grateful for that because uh, I definitely learned a lot by doing that job. It was not an easy job. Uh, you know, getting stuff delivered on time, no matter what the cost is to, you know, your personal health. Uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, 
it's got pros and cons, but it definitely ta- taught me a lot in terms of uh, work ethic. Um, you know, obviously, you, you do a lot of analysis and you, you have to be very rigorous with your presentations and the numbers you, you show and, and go through. Um, so I think that's really transferable to, to any industry um, and not just e-commerce. Um, yeah, that's what I have to say. I'm I'm curious too. So you kind of like you like uh, moving into selling hair online. It's a very very different career trajectory. How, how did you even like get into that that business? You know, like a lot of things in life, a um, little bit of coincidence, a little bit of luck, a little bit of <laughs> a lot of discussions with other people. Um, so the way it specifically happened for me was one of my good friends back in the day uh, had and still has a, a successful online lingerie company called Adore Me. Uh, and he was praising the virtues of entrepreneurship for a long, long time. Like, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think it's for me. Um, and finally, you know, I, I pulled the trigger and decided to, to transit. And he, we brainstormed in terms of the idea and he acted as my mentor. Uh, mm-hmm. I was running the day-to-day business and he was acting as my mentor. Uh, and that's, I mean, I, I could have not have hoped for a better introduction to the entrepreneurship world. Uh, and having somebody can really help you learn the ropes and avoid the countless mistakes you can make when you start a company. So that, that was crucial. I think that was a really, really important factor in my success in, in this industry. And if I can recommend to anybody who is starting as an entrepreneur, uh, I think the number one advice I would give is get somebody in the industry you're going into to mentor you, at least guide you, uh, because those piece of advice are invaluable. Yeah, I love that. Um, I was going to ask you <laughs> about what go. you would say to someone. So I'm glad you answered that question. I think that's awesome. Um, I'm familiar with the Adore Me brand as oh, well. Yeah. So, I mean, I can only imagine um, the influence of having a mentor. Yeah, I want to ask you as well. Would you say, I know like our background in Malomo is that Yao and our other co-founder, Anthony, started as a uh, consultancy. So they were helping other brands and like saw the issue in the post-purchase space that they were able to thus solve with Malomo. So yeah, would you also attribute kind of like with mentorship, being able to have maybe like a leg up or um, have that, you know, evade some common mistakes in like founding your own company? Yeah. And actually like Sergio, uh, like uh, it's, it's very cool to hear your background. I, I had a similar journey, started my career in investment banking as well. Oh, um, and, and, uh, and transitioning into kind of software space and then the e-commerce space, like you, you don't know what you don't know. And so like, you, you really need people to help you see around corners and understand like the problems that you can't <laughs> anticipate running into. Um, so our, our, uh, our core value, one of our core values is leverage other viewpoints. And it's been pretty impactful to us because I think like a lot of times, like you can get, when you're, when you're working a problem, you can get tunnel vision. Um, and a lot of times I think um, when you go out and seek other perspectives and advice from people, they help you unlock uh, really quickly on, on those problems that you've been dealing with. And so uh mentorship is insanely important like having i mean we've got a board of directors in our company i've got (laughs) personal advisors i'm part of ceo groups um like all of those perspectives help you help you just understand like what is important for you to focus on and what is not important for you to focus on yeah that resonates with me a lot because i think 
you learn so much by talking with other people. And, you know, obviously more senior people, that's great, but also even more junior people. You can always gain something and you never know where the next great piece of advice for your life, for your career is going to come from. Um, and it's all about listening and integrating that and say, okay, that makes sense for me. That maybe makes a little less sense for me. But it's, I think it's tremendously important to, to go through that process. Uh, yes. I always say, I, I think I've been very lucky in my life. Um, but I also think that to some extent I've created my own luck and you create that luck through the conversations you have, uh, the opportunities you see and seizing those opportunities. I'm, I'm a firm believer in what you just, what you just said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. And so how did you take those learnings to then found dossier? I know you said it was in 2018, I believe, and then launched in 2019. So can you walk us kind of through that whole process of like getting into the fragrance world. Um, yeah. And like founding, founding dossier. Yeah. I've always been fascinated from the beginning by the margins in the beauty and, and fashion industry. Of mm. it. I just find it crazy. I, you know, from the get go, I, I, I just find it particularly interesting and a bit insane. Uh, so my whole career in e-commerce has been or uh, geared towards how can we create more value for the customer? Uh, how can we create, uh, equally good or even better product by just selling for less and just giving more back to the customer as opposed to having 80, 90, 95% gross margins, which don't make sense to me. Um, <laughs> that's how we started in, in the hair care industry, um, which was a niche industry, but the margins were particularly egregious. Um, I also had a skincare company that took off, but not as much as I wanted to. And that's really what drove me towards the perfume industry. Uh, we, and the dossier started as a conversation between myself and the person who became ultimately became my first investor, uh, mm-hmm. just exchanged ideas. Uh, again, going back to listening to other people and, and getting ideas from other people. And we both knew the, the margins in the perfume world were high. Uh, I didn't realize how high they were until I talked to that person. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but also I did, what I did realize is there was no trademark on perfume. Um, so that's where the idea of dossier started you know, fermenting in my, in, in my head. And that's how dossier really started. And we're not the first ones to have thought of the idea. There's a whole bunch of uh, micro companies that are out there. There's a whole cottage industry around this concept. And um, if you are from New York City, you'll be very familiar with the street called Canal Street. So all you have to do is go there to understand that there's a whole cottage industry around this concept, uh, among other things on that street. Um, But we want to take a completely different approach. We want to create a great product. So typically these these small companies tend to be very focused on price, uh, not necessarily on on quality. They tend to manufacture the perfumes in countries that don't really have a manufacturing expertise of perfume. Um, Again, very focused on trying to sell for the lowest price possible. And we want to take an opposite approach our first desire was to create a great product um so we manufacture in france in the southern part of france in this village called grass which is really the mecca of perfumery um we were very focused on the quality of our product it didn't matter how much it cost us to make that product we just wanted to create a great perfume uh it helps that it doesn't cost a lot of money to create great perfume so obviously you can still <laughs> sell for a great price without without killing our margins. Um, we also wanted to remove some of the nasty ingredients that traditional perfumery had and sometimes still has in the perfume. So that was important to us too. 
But overall, the overarching idea was how can we create a great perfume and sell it for a much more affordable price than what traditional perfumery sells at prices for. So our product started $29. Um, and you'll be hard pressed to go, if you go to Sephora to find a perfume that's going to smell great. It's going to cost you less than 80 or hundred bucks. It's going to be very, very hard for you. And if you go into the great niche brands like Tom Ford, Creed, etc., cetera, uh, they sell the perfumes at $250, $300 plus, um, which is going to be a great product, but insane margins when you think of it. And so we want to make great perfumery accessible for the 99%. That was important to us. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Mariah. No, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so like when, when you were launching the business, so like, did you have like a defined target market that you were like, I mean, the nine, the other 99% of folks that want accessible, um, perfume is, is still a very large kind of broad audience. Like, did you go any more niche than that? Like when you're, when you're starting the business and going to market? I think in the very beginning of the process, you just think about the product. I think you yeah. identify an opportunity and you say to yourself, okay, this does not make any sense. Uh, we can produce great perfumes that are inspired by luxury scents and sell them for way less. So we started with that. Uh, and then we really focused on the, the quality and production uh, to produce our first batch that would be of good quality. And then obviously in the meanwhile, but that's where we start, but obviously in the meanwhile, starting, okay, how can we market this? Um, and we, you have some assumptions, some, some hypotheses and you test them and then you realize some of them are correct, some of them are incorrect. So for example, um, we knew that selling perfume online is not the easiest business in the world by definition, because you cannot smell anything on the internet. Um, it sounds silly to say, but it's, it's true. It's, yeah. It's, it's, oh, kind, yeah, of, yeah. it's kind of an yeah. issue. So uh -huh. how, how, how do we market this uh, in the beginning? And what are the people, who are the people who are going to be the most susceptible to buy perfume online? So quickly we said to ourselves, I think our best initial target are going to be people who discover beauty online, are comfortable buying beauty products online, are comfortable buying perfume online um so the demographic is probably going to be you know your 20 to 35 year old 20 20 to 40 year old person um and we also had a strong hypothesis that these kind of people discover beauty not in the traditional media but online and especially on youtube um mm. so we have a strong bias towards youtube which we feel is a criminally underutilized platform for any beauty company um, so that was our initial hypothesis and it turned out to be true. Uh, our other hypothesis was, well, in the US, traditionally, men don't use perfume cologne as much as women. So our initial collection was very geared towards women. So we started off with 20 perfumes and 15 of those were female and five of those were male. Turns out that was wrong. Uh, there was actually some strong interest from uh from men to uh, to try perfumes um so we very quickly when we we increased that category uh we really tried to rebalance that so right now um we have about 85 perfumes and one third is female one third is male and one third is unisex um unisex is also a, a, a huge and a huge developing category within the perfume industry i have 
I have like Go a million ahead. questions. <laughs> I, I saw it coming. Shoot I away. Was like... <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, so I love the so perfume. This is like the one thing I was like really excited to ask you about. So like um, growing up, uh, I, I have like these vivid memories of like going to the department stores around the Christmas time. That was like usually when I bought my cologne, um, particularly because it was on sale and you, the, like the, the, uh, the human aspect of like buying cologne or perfume is like you said, you got to go and smell it. You, you spray it on the sticks, right. And you waft it in your, <laughs> in your nose. Um, and when you find that, when you find that particular scent that you like, like you're almost like, like irrationally brand loyal. Uh, this it's maybe yeah. personal perspective. Maybe it's very different for a lot of people, but, <laughs> um, so I've always buy David off cool water. Uh, and, uh, which was that? Sorry. D- David off cool water. Yeah. Cool water. Yeah. 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 Um, and so like whenever I wasn't at the mall and I needed to pick it up, like at CVS, like they don't let you spray. So like mentally, I'm just like, I know I love this scent. So I'm just going to always stick to that scent unless I can try a different one. Um, I, I feel like I know the answer to this, but I'd love to hear like, how did you get around that from an online perspective? Like how, how did you make that connection? Like, you, cause you're not shipping out samples for people to like smell before they buy, like try before they buy it all. Are you? No, we're not. Uh, absolutely. And that, that's something we thought about a lot. So th- there's two questions there that really resonate with me. One is, is your buying experience. And you knew you liked that perfume. And you're right, there's something almost irrational and magic about when you smell a perfume that you like, like, oh my God, this is amazing. There's, yeah. there's, there's, there's some, it's like a magical experience. It's like almost. euphoria. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this is it. Yes. Yeah. So then, yes. then your decision process becomes very easy because one, these perfumes tend to cost a lot of money and two, you like that perfume. So why would you change? Um, mm-hmm. So for a long, long time, um, people had this concept of signature scent. You know, this is my scent. Uh, this is who, who I am. Um, and little by little, people, especially in the younger generation, tend to shy away from that. They want to discover other perfumes. Um, they mm-hmm. want to smell other stuff. They want to have different perfumes for different occasions. You're not going to wear the same perfume at work versus going out with your friends. You want to have that portfolio and uh, diversification. And it's kind of hard to do. Um, that discovery process is difficult when your average uh, great quality perfume costs $150 plus. Um, you go to Sephora, you want to buy three perfumes, all of a sudden you have a $500 bill. You know, not everybody can afford that. Um, uh, some lucky few people can, but most people can't. Uh, so I think that's what, that's one of the key elements of, of the success of Darcy is that we enable that discovery process. You know, you buy a bottle that costs $29. Um, it's not going to break the back for you. And you can try several perfumes. And actually, people uh, buy on average between two and three products because mm-hmm. they want to go through, through that discovery process. And then linked to that obviously is, uh, as I'm sure you know, we have an incredibly easy return process. So going back to your sampling question, which I, I think is a crucial one. Um, one of the first questions we asked ourselves is how can we make sure people want to buy our products? Um, how can we incentivize them? So in, initially, we thought a lot around the sampling and traditionally perfume companies online have what they call a sample set. Um, they can buy for call it 20 bucks 
and uh, you get what three, five, ten samples, small samples. You can try the different perfumes, and then you can use uh, you get a twenty dollar coupon to come back and purchase the final uh, the, the quote unquote real product. Uh, so the fifty ml <laughs> bottle, the hundred ml bottle. Um, and that would make sense for a company that sells perfume for a lot of money because you're not going to fork out that amount of money. Uh, you're going on a, on a whim, not going to pay 150 bucks online for perfume that was smelled. Um, for us, you know, this is going more into, I guess, uh, financial strategy. But for us, it, it didn't make sense to sell a set a sample set of 20, 30 bucks when the perfume itself cost 29 bucks. Um, that Delta wasn't worth it for us and just brings complications to the process. So what we decided to do is initially was to say, look, we're gonna, you're gonna buy the final product. You're gonna buy the 50 ml bottle. Inside there, there's gonna be a small sample. Um, try the sample on. If you like that sample, then you can use the bottle and you can use the perfume, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that's the, the initial way we got through that through that hump. Uh, that way people can feel reassured, okay, the return process is very easy. I have a sample I can try. If I don't like it, I just send it back. No questions asked. Great. And then what we realized is a couple of things. Um, one, the return process, getting that product back if they don't like it was not as easy as we thought for us because we have to refurbish the product. We have to put another sample in there. The insert card will be busted up. The box will be broken, whatever. Uh, number two, you know, that little sample bottle was made of plastic, which we try to shy away from as much as we can. So then we went back to the, the drone board saying, okay, what can we do? And then we just thought about this, like, why not just, we were confident in our product. We know it's great quality. What, we're just going to send it. You know what? Just buy the product. We'll just send it, we'll just send it to you. Try it on as much as you want. If you don't like it, return it to us. No questions asked. Whether it's open or not, whether you use half of it or not, doesn't matter. Um, just return it to us. And it made our lives much simpler. It made the customers even more reassured that you know we believe in our product. Uh, and also we said to them, look, these bottles, we're not going to trash them. Doesn't make sense. We're going to give them to we're going to give them to charities. Um, I think that resonated too with the customer. So we made it the, the, the selling process is frictionless, uh, the return process is frictionless, and we do, you know, in our modest way, some good to the world. That's awesome. I love that so much. Um, I did see the like easy returns process on your guys' website. And I think that makes a lot of sense when I'm thinking about buying something online, especially like perfume. And I love that you touched upon like I totally fall into that market where I want to have a bunch of perfumes. Like I have at least like eight right now that I just like <laughs> cycle through. But then like my mom, she she's like you, yeah, where she's like, she, I think, I don't even know how old she was, but like found her scent and that's it. Like, that was it. Yeah. Was and it. she was like, I've never looked back. But me, I'm like, oh, like, and even it's funny because she'll like buy me perfumes. And she's like, I think you'd love this. But I'm like, why wouldn't you try it yourself? So it's a whole thing. But <laughs> I totally think that um, getting over and like having that reassurance that you said to the customer of like, we're so confident in our product. We think that you'll love it. But if you don't like, no, okay. there's no issue. Just send it back and we'll give yeah. it to charity. I think that's amazing. Yeah. I think it's superpower. Lowers the barrier entry to, to like 
um, like that. I think everybody's in this mindset of like, man, I don't know if I should buy from this brand I just discovered. I don't know, especially in, in, in the products that you sell, if I'm really going to love this thing. Um, I think that's super powerful messaging, just very frictionless to try things. Yeah. Um, and look, and look you, you have to, because like we said, initially you can't smell perfume online. So you got to make sure that it's as frictionless as possible and risk-free as possible for, for the uh, end consumer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that resonates a lot with us also like making something frictionless. Like I know that's as a company, like a goal of ours, like that's um, where our background is. So that I think that like either from a consumer point of view or just like a brand point of view is it, it helps all parties involved, you know? How, how uh, so then you mentioned like, okay, target audience is, is, uh, you know, they're, they're beauty. So they discover beauty products on video platforms like YouTube has been a really great channel for, for you all. How do you, how do you leverage video and YouTube in your marketing to our customers? So we're strong believers in influencer marketing. Um, and I at least have been doing influencer marketing for a long time. Uh, even before it was a fancy term, um, <laughs> before the, 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 the term influencer marketing did not even exist when we started doing that. Um, and we're also, big believer, we're also big believers in the video format. Um, like just to give you an example, um, imagine a Instagram post with an influencer holding a bottle like this or whatever um, with very little explanation. That doesn't do justice to our product. Um, is she trying to push or promote the clothing, the bottle, the makeup. It's, it's very unclear. Uh, whereas in a video format, you have the time to tell a story and you have time to explain the product. And people, video is an extremely powerful, powerful tool. Um, so that's why we, we, we strongly believe in video, um, whether it's YouTube and now TikTok and to some extent, uh, you know, Instagram stories we have a strong bias towards that. So we will work with influencers on those platforms first because they can tell that story. And to give you a sense, uh, I think last year, I think there was about 15,000 pieces of content that talked about dossier in some form or fashion. So when I, when I say we believe in influence marketing, we really are believers in influencer <laughs> marketing. Um, yes. And we, we work a lot with influencers on the, the small to medium size. Um, we don't necessarily work with really large influencers. Um, that's something we're work, working towards uh, little by little. Um, sorry, I forgot the initial question. Uh, like how do, how do you, yeah. I mean, you, you actually answered a lot of it, but, but uh, how yeah. do you leverage YouTube and video to like really, yeah, in your marketing and, and drive people to action? Because I, I feel like the, the, the perfume industry in general has has used that tactic for decades, right? Like mm. Chanel and Dior, right? Whenever you're watching a commercial about a fragrance, it's not really about the fragrance. It's just like mini like soap opera-ish story that they're selling <laughs> that like evokes yeah. this like feeling or experience. Um, I'm almost wondering like, is there a new age version of that that you all are doing too that like inspires people to action and it yeah. Like, I'm curious, like, wh why do you think video works for you? And in, in like, what are you doing that you think is working? So I think this goes beyond uh, what you just asked. I think it's a super interesting question. And it goes beyond just the influencer marketing part. Just to finish on the influencer marketing side, um, the way we work with them is that there are some, 
some key messages that we want to get across and we will be very specific about that but how they get those key messages across depends on them uh their creators they know their audience um if you try and script them too much it's going to feel scripted and it's not going to work it needs to be their voice transmitting these three key points, whatever those key points are. And I'm, I'm, we're firm believing that. And we work with a variety of influencers. Um, uh, we're, not, we're not very specific in terms of, okay, it needs to be this kind of niche, this kind of atmosphere. No. Everybody likes perfume, or at least a lot of people like perfume. Uh, we're very comfortable working with a large uh, variety of influencers. Uh, now, going back to what you just said, which is super interesting, um, what kind of message we're trying to convey? And that's something we thought about from the get-go. Uh, we always felt that luxury perfumery uh, was this very aspirational, uh, inaccessible industry where it's all about the aspiration. You know, the, the typical Dolce Gabbana ad is like, some super musty guy with a half naked woman on a beautiful <laughs> beach somewhere and yeah. Dolce Gabbana. <laughs> <laughs> Conveniently, uh, they have a bottle of perfume know. on the beach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. because everybody does that. Um, so uh, that we want to be the opposite of that. And by the way, don't get me wrong. These are fantastic brands where nobody's compared to the Chanel's and Dolce Gabbana's of the world. They're extraordinary brands, but we wanted to not be that. We want to be a much more warm, accessible brand. Um, there's a big component of education in what everything we try to do. So just to give you an example, if you look at the names of our products, uh, it's not like, I don't know, Smoke in the Night or whatever crazy <laughs> name they came, came up with. It's more, it's all about the ingredients, you know, floral marshmallow, got it. You know, uh, every single name is constructed with the olfactive family, and then the main ingredient in that perfume. And it goes again to the, that educational and discovery process. Um, you know, For the longest time before I started in this industry, I had no idea about the ingredients of the notes that went into perfume. Now I realize actually I like, I like a touch of ginger in my perfumes. You know, it sounds silly, but I didn't know that before. So we try to really develop that, that educational aspect to, to things. Uh, and what we want when you buy a perfume from Dossier is that I want you to feel empowered, educated, and feel like you made a smart decision. Um, and if you buy, you made a smart decision, that's great. And if you didn't, at least, if you didn't buy, at least you feel empowered and educated. Um, that's something that, that that's important to us. You, you get to understand the industry better and you, you make a choice that works for you uh, with that education. And, you know, like, like everything, it's, we're not there yet. It's still work in progress, but, that's really something that drives us, uh, you know, the communication on website, on social media, et cetera. Yes. Um, so uh, one, one interesting thing that like you, you touched on there, the education piece. Um, so when I, when I was visiting your website too, this is, this is subtle. And I, I'm curious to hear like the, the, um, I don't know, maybe the rationale behind it. Um, mm -hmm. But like with each with each fragrance, uh, you had a little like byline underneath that's inspired by like mm -hmm. cool water, inspired by popular scent or fragrance, um, which I think is like super smart because it instantly connects 
in the buyer's mind, what I what I have an understanding of to what this new thing is. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think that's a very powerful but subtle, uh, like educational tool um, in a very small moment of time. Um, what what like has that been key to your strategy? Like, yeah, like kind absolutely. of pairing. Yeah, what, what, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, it's been very important for us um, for many aspects. So we're, we're not shy about the fact that our products are inspired by luxury scents and uh, uh, they will smell very close to what the original scent smells like. And that's something we're proud of and we, we, we communicate around. Uh, because again, we want to give the opportunity to the 99% and everybody really to have access to great perfumes. Um, so that's something we communicate around. It's been, I think, very effective for us. So um, we, we, don't, we don't bombard our website about this, but we definitely mention it because I think it, it helps the consumer understand what kind of product we're selling uh, and helps guide that, uh, decision, uh, that purchase process. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's, been, it, it's been important for us both on the website in terms of communication, it helps, you know, it helps frame the, the purchase decision. Yeah. I love that you like take that ownership and like you're proud to be associating or like, um, like ha- proud to have your own space. Right. I think that's so cool that you're able to carve out, um, you know, like we know that there are luxury products out there, but like, that's not us. Right. And like, it goes back to what we were saying about the Dolce and Gabbana, like on the beach, right. Like they do their thing and it's amazing. Right. We're talking about it right now, but to be able to, then like pivot and really make your own brand. That's what stands out to me. So I love that you said like, uh, was it empower education and then like being confident about um, the decision? Make a smart decision. decision. Like you feel like you made a smart decision. Okay, by, yeah. By purchasing. Yeah, sweet. And, so, you know, it's, it's a little bit like the, to give an example, uh, a great brand, at least I love is The Ordinary, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, when you buy something from The Ordinary, you think, okay, I've made a great decision. I'm well-educated. I understand the ingredients that I actually need for my skin to look great. And I don't have to pay a hundred bucks for it. Great. <laughs> a win-win-win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I would love to dive into, so like, I know you also were talking about like working with micro-influencers, right? So on the smaller to medium-sized um, scale and like UGC and just like marketing strategy retention as a whole. So we talked a little bit about video already, but I'd be curious to hear. So when you're trying to educate your customers, we've talked about like before buying. So mm-hmm. are there any other like strategies that you implore before we, I would love to like go into after buying, like how sure. you're making sure, you know, your customers know everything that they need to know about your product. But before mm-hmm. we pivot to um, kind of like the post-purchase side of things, is are there any other things that you're doing on the pre-purchase side, like branding or, um, anything in like the checkout process that you think would be like great to highlight? Yeah. I mean, there's always a thousand, a thousand things we try and test and we learn from. Uh, So there's the whole UX process of, okay, let's try this, let's try that. Um, And, you know, a lot of them fail, some work and that's great. And and we implement them. Um, But on, on a higher level, the two things I would flag there is I've always been, a big believer in simplicity. So our website, my impression is that it's a pretty simple website to navigate. 
you very quickly get to the product. You very quickly get to where you need to get. And that's something I've always firmly believed in. You know, I always think, okay, homepage, category page, product page, at the cart, checkout, duck. Uh, no fluff in the middle. So it, mm-hmm. it needs to be very straightforward. I'm a firm believer in that. Um, number two, I'm also a believer in capturing emails and uh, SMSs really far up the process because, I mean, when you think of it, you get 100 people that come on your website. Uh, you're lucky if you get three or four people to buy. Um, right. And then 96, 97 people, they're gone. That's it. So how can you capture some of their information to continue that conversation is super, super important to me. So that's something I focus on a lot because it helps us continue that conversation and push them towards that first purchase. Right. Are you doing that through like pop-ups or like yeah. giveaways? Yeah. Yeah. I'm also from believe in do basic things well. Um, so <laughs> yeah, pop-ups are great. Um, and obviously we, we capture the email and the, the phone number through those pop-ups. Um, that's really our, our main source of, of uh, uh, email and SMS acquisition. There's a floating button at the bottom that, help, that helps to quite a bit. Okay, sweet. So with that, then I think there's still like, there's tons of opportunity in the post-purchase side to do that as well. So can you walk us through kind of like your whole strategy um, after a customer buys from you, what kind of communication, what education um, is the customer or the consumer getting? Yeah. So uh, our communication at these two email SMS are based on on two things that there's there's what we call flows and campaigns. Um, So flows, very traditional. Uh, we have some some po- post-purchase flows that we like to push uh, in terms of what you can expect, um, what, what your product is, has it been delivered, all very, all very classic. Uh, and then down the road after 15 days, or I think it's 15 days, we will send you a flow, to, uh, an email to say, hey, by the way, do you want to post a review of your experience? What do you think of your product? And then after 30, 60, 90 days, depending you get uh, automatic flows that start talking like, okay, you bought this product or we bought these products. What about this one? Or what about that? Uh, have you thought of, uh, now we're going to have candles again back on our website. Uh, have you thought about candles? So that, that definitely helps. But if you think for our specific business, if you think about how people purchase uh, on, the, on, on the company, uh, on, on the website, they tend to buy two to three products um, and there's no real correlation between what people buy. So we looked at this actually really, really carefully. Um, this, and we couldn't figure out a pattern in terms of what people bought. So obviously we have some bestsellers, but our bestseller is not 80% of our business. So our sales are pretty scattered across various uh, products. Um, so it's, it's very hard to find a pattern. People just like certain perfumes and that's what the ones they're going to buy. Um, so trying to make a correlation between, okay, if you buy Ambry Saffron, automatically, we know that you're going to love this and that's what we're going to push. It's hard for us to do, mm-hmm. but what's important for us and what's important for our customers is that discovery process. So the way we generate quite a bit of, uh, of, of, of revenue and, uh, and post-purchase, uh, activity is by sending campaigns, talking about various subjects. It could be. Okay, we got we got this new perfume and uh, we got this new perfume that came in back came in stock. 
um, pushing a story or just some educational content around around perfume. It can be the simple email just talks about okay, well, uh, these three floral products we think are great, or what what you wear for summer, etc. Just talking about those is really helpful because what people do is that first of all they get the products, they're going to try them. And oh, by the way, they actually they smell pretty nice and it's a good quality product. They're not going to wait till the bottles are empty to buy new products. So uh, they tend to buy again after 30 to 60 days. This is, there's no way to finish three bottles. Um, <laughs> but they love, they love the perfume and they've always wanted to discover other products. So they are going to be inspired or encouraged or in the, influenced by the communication we send around other products that, that are available for us. Um, so, you know, we try to adapt our post, post-purchase marketing or post-purchase communication around that fact. It's a lot of discovery. Um, there's not a specific timeline where, for example, if you, I don't know, if you buy soap, well, you know that after X amount of days or whatever it is, you probably run out, so you need to buy a new one. That's not how Dossier works because there's this whole discovery process of purchasing other products. And by the way, when they repurchase, they buy another two to three products, not just one. And it's mm. going to be different perfumes. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. I love the highlight on discoverability. And so I know because we talk, we were talking about UGC and like using videos as a platform. I'm curious, you share like part of that discoverability process is that getting that those those videos that video content in front of consumers after they purchase so like showing them being like oh these are a couple of like reviews you know in the form from tiktok or youtube or anything like that um that you're sharing is or is it really just putting the product in front of them and letting like having like a blog or something of the sort like what is the format there's definitely that i mean we we try all sorts of all sorts of of types of of communication and obviously review is is a big part of it um that's why we're also uh, pretty aggressive about getting those reviews. So uh, in part of the flow is to send in, uh, I think it's uh, two or three emails, I think, all SMSs saying, please read a review for us if you love our product. Because um, we can then use those reviews across paid advertising, even on our own website. Um, you can push that to communicate, post-purchase communication, pre-purchase, pre-purchase communication. Yes, yeah, so that. The types of communication we go through is is pretty wide. Um, and first of all, there's no one one format that fits all. And second of all, I think you need some variety of of communication. If it's all about buy our products, that's probably not going to where people are going to get bored of it. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot I think of sense. It's, it's really staying front and center in terms of people reminding you, and, and then obviously. Well, there's a whole bunch of work we do around, okay, who should we be sending this communication to? How often? Um, that's obviously crucial because you want to make sure people don't get bored of you and unsubscribe. That's not the point. So <laughs> right. that's that's the really difficult piece where you start thinking about how to segment your audience in a smart way, et cetera, et cetera. But um, that's, all, that's always a work in progress. I, uh, real quick, Mara, I imagine like you are testing things, you're testing lots of things and like mm-hmm. trying to see what is, what is driving, where do, where do you go to get inspired or like, who do you pay attention to if anybody or any like outlet um, or learning resource to like, yeah. yeah, level up and stay. 
So we have a list of, what is it, 100, 150 companies that we really like. Uh, and, you know, you always get, you can't think of everything in-house. You, you always need some form of inspiration. So th there's these brands that we love and we get inspiration from in terms of design. Oh, look at that cool feature. That's interesting. They build their filter that way. Didn't think of that. Um, cool. Let's try and see if that makes sense for us. Um, whether it's, you know, color palettes or, or like you say, communication. Um, how are these guys communicating? Um, what kind of, what kind of uh, success have they seen with this type of email? So it's, it's always an ongoing process of learning from others, whether they are specifically in the perfume industry or in, you know, adjacent type of industries like fashion or beauty industries. Um, that's, that's really the best source of inspiration for us. And, you know, listening to great podcasts, that's always super helpful. Um, on my commute, that's all I do is I listen to podcasts. I listen to, to audiobooks, um, and that's how you get ideas. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's no, it's, you know, a lot of things that we do are not rocket science. It's just, again, <laughs> it's all about, I think, doing the basic things right. And if you do those basic things right, you can go a, a long way. And obviously it goes without saying, having great product. Um, you can be the best marketer in the world. If your product's not good, you're not going to go very far. So it all starts with that. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think so? I love what you said about like just doing basic things, right? Like it's not rocket science. And I know there's a lot of um, like this time of year around the holiday season, there's a lot of, I feel like pressure or just stress in general. And so I think this fits in really nicely. And I wanted to ask you, do you have that same approach for the holidays where it's like, we know our, like, we know what we're going to do. We know our basics. We're going to stick to that during the holiday, se holiday season. Or do you think your strategy changes a little bit just depending on, you know, consumer behavior? I think at least at our stage of the company, uh, again, it's a lot about getting the basics right. Um, mm. You know, in, in any e-commerce uh, and especially in perfumery, you got to be doing a lot of volume during those crucial six weeks. Uh, you're probably going to be generating anywhere from I don't know, 30 to 50% of your annual revenue in six weeks. So it, it's, you know, you could go and try and figure things out, but it might not be the most wise, you know, <laughs> uh, the wisest strategy because you don't want to get those six weeks wrong. That's, that's mm -hmm. super important. So you want to get those things right. So at least my point of view, and I'm not saying it's the right way to do things, but in my point of view is, um, we stop testing, we stop, we stop trying new things. It's about getting volume, making sure we're doing, we're communicating a lot. And I, I always say to the team, you know, Black Friday is the period where branding goes to die. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all about making sure you get your voice heard and you get those sales. Um, and so you, you sacrifice a little bit of that, that beauty aesthetic to make sure that people want to sell your promotions and people see the value and there's a lot of noise out there and doing Black Friday. So it's all about attracting that attention, getting those sales. At the end of the day, we're a business. We need to, to sell. And when so much volume gets processed to, you know, four to eight weeks, you cannot get that wrong. Yeah. And, and like, when you think about that, like that period of time to, uh, I know a lot of a lot of brands like they, they have this existential like struggle between 
we're going to get a lot of one-time customers that are leveraging the discount, but we're never going to see them again. And that like profitability margin um, profile looks very different for those customers. Um, how do you think about that? Like, are you, is, is that a period of time where you're trying to find those first time customers to drive them to second purchase? Like you're looking for the loyal customer base or it's, we know we're just going to see a lot of like one-time purchases. And so let's architect our pricing and our offers to make that right. first purchase profitable. So I think it's, I think it's about both. We have not seen that, you know, cohorts, uh, November cohorts. So people buy for the first time in the month of November have been bad customers. Um, mm. That has not been our experience. Um, clearly, they take advantage of the, of, the, of, the, of the discounts to buy way more, goes without saying. Um, but we see the, the same cohort building uh, on November cores than on other types of cores. So that has not been our experience. Um, obviously, the other cores from the other months of the year, um, there's always a spike there, of course, you know, they take advantage of the deal. Uh, of the deals that, that, that we we offer. Um, but we haven't really seen a huge difference in performance uh, if we compare the November court versus other other ones. So that, that's not been our uh, our issue. Um, it's it's all about managing uh, the CAC and, and managing managing that process. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I love that you brought up that point, Yao. Um... And it's very encouraging, I'm sure, Sergio, that you saw, like you haven't seen that November has been like a really big uptick in consumers and that you're able to make like maybe first time customers into repeat purchasers. And this is a notion that I spoke with one of our um, partners with on another podcast episode and the notion of like gift, like people buying gifts right during the holidays. And so like the customer and the consumer might be different. Like if you're buying, you know, for your, I'm buying something for my mother or something, you know, if you're, if the dossier emails are going to me, but my mom is the one who's enjoying it. It's like, how do you collect kind of both emails or SMS? And we were also talking about um, collecting those ways of communication. Like that's something that's super, I feel like niche and not a, maybe a, not a ton of people are capitalizing on have you like thought about that at all sergio of like how do you get if if you know if something is tagged as i'm buying as a gift how do you close that communication gap of like oh how am i getting in communication with someone who's actually using the product or is that not really a worry in um the perfume industry oh, oh no it's a worry <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's hard to do <laughs> uh so you know you you, you, you can think of um, you know, uh, sending emails and how do you call that? But you send an email, and then both people get get a discount if if you refer a friend. You can think of those things. Um, you can think of okay, have you thought about a friend who would like this? Uh, there's all sorts of ways of doing it. We haven't, unfortunately, we haven't seen a ton of success. It's hard. Mm. It's hard to really scale those things. Um, but again, I would love to hear ideas of other companies that have been doing that pretty successfully. The one thing, the two things that encourage us is going back to the November point is yes, we do see uh, repeat purchase, even if you, though you bought first in November. I think that speaks to the quality of our product. Um, but going going back to how we can refer more and formalize that more, we see a, so we have a, a post purchase survey. Uh, and we were 
surprised and very encouraged by the fact that about uh, 25% of our of our purchases were referred by friends, uh, oh. which I thought which I thought was to it's say the least encouraging. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's encouraging. It could be way, obviously, it could be way more. We're growing very fast, so um, we're getting a lot of a lot of people to to the door through traditional marketing methods. But that that was a good thing. But formalizing that, I think, is is an essential piece. And I have to say, I have not come up with a good, great solution just yet that can be really scaled up. Have you seen Have you seen the companies that do that well? I'm curious. I, so we were, I I'll, I can ask, honestly, the um, partner that we were speaking with, if, if they had a, a brand in mind of who they were um, addressing or seen it done well, but they, I just heard it more as like a notion, like this is something that in the future, maybe people will work towards, but I haven't had any direct, um, you know, direct brands telling me directly, like this has worked super well for us. Yeah. Have yeah. you? I'm trying to think. I know. Um, I'm like, I pose the question and I'm like, I don't, <laughs> brands that come yeah. to mind are <laughs> tough. Yeah, I know. So there's a brand um, called Flamingo Estate um, that they they push this really hard. Um, they're like a very well-designed brand. And like, I think they, they rely a lot on word of mouth. Um, and I think they do, they do a good amount of this. I don't, I'll, I'll have to ask them to like, are there any specific tactics that they're using that seems to be more successful than others? But the classic, I, mean, I know they're doing the classic, like refer a friend, both of you get a discount okay. um, on the purchase or, um, I'll have to think about that more. Yeah. No, but it's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's it's a huge, it's a huge point. I mean, it's, it's something that's really important. Uh, I, at least I haven't seen a, a solution that works really well. Um, beyond the good old-fashioned you know word to mouth mm -hmm. we'll definitely have to follow up with you on that because i think it's a great question and maybe we found a pocket where it's like oh there's some some investigation um to see what other brands are doing in that space but i know we're t coming up on time um so i want to be respectful of course of everyone's oh, schedules no <laughs> oh no you want to say yeah <laughs> uh, we can just talk for hours yeah. and hours <laughs> no it's, it's been a great conversation yeah, thank you for coming on. I know Yao and I were both super pumped um, about this episode and getting to meet and chat with you. So thank you. You know, this is this is what like we love to do our bread and butter. So thanks. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Sergio.